to another episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. And we're here with Baseball History. That's right. We're bringing you bi-weekly baseball history on our bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is out towing the rubber, throwing them. And my pitch today is about a pitcher. Is it? I'm pitching a pitcher today. All right. Well, I'm interested to hear that. We're, we're about... We're a couple weeks into spring training by now. Oh, yeah. Been uh, wonderful. Baseball's just around the corner. <laughs> you've, you've been enjoying it. You have been enjoying some some warm, dry weather, yeah. I assume. Yeah, by the time I'm listening to this, I'll be on my way home from uh, Arizona and mm-hmm. uh, checking out some spring training stuff. Uh, but besides that, uh, and saying hello to my future self, where can people find us, Enzi? Uh, well, you can find us on Twitter, x.com machine, at Doing Baseball, and on Instagram and TikTok, at Doing.Baseball. And I am also on Twitter, x.com machine, at Ed's Do Baseball. And I'm at Sean Do Baseball. And uh, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you very much. And if you could give us a review, give us a rating, uh, it helps the podcast. Give us a follow. All those things, they really help. Yeah, and let me also echo uh, thanking you for listening. Of course. Mm-hmm. And thanks to our sponsor as well, uh, Two Loons Brewing. Uh, you can check them out at twoloonsbrewing.com. Follow them on Instagram, all of that stuff. They have a couple great beers out already. Uh, some great beers at bars around the GTA in Toronto. And uh, hopefully we'll be seeing the brick and mortar soon and doing one of these from uh, the brewery itself. Mm-hmm. And if your local establishment doesn't have uh, a Two Loons IPA or lager in stock, please ask for it. Of course. Of and then course. maybe uh, you'll start to see them popping up around uh, every establishment around the city, your city, and uh, of of course, be of legal drinking age, and please enjoy responsibly. And today we are not talking about enjoying responsibly. Okay, is that a good transition? <laughs> I guess that's a it's it's a segue. It's a segue. <laughs> well, Edzie, I gave you I gave you a little uh, a little hint for this. You gave me some homework. Well, indirectly, you gave me some homework to do. Yeah. So, so I, I mentioned uh, the movie Mississippi Burning to you, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I knew you'd be, watch it. I knew you'd enjoy it. Good movie. We talked about it for a long time before this episode. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, a great film. Yeah, you would never know how it kind of ties into our story today. I, I watched it trying to guess. And if you haven't seen Mississippi Burning, there there are several references to baseball games in it. And there's a scene where he goes into the to the barber shop and, and they're listening to the Cardinals game. The, I think the oh, yeah. Cardinals are winning 5 nothing in the bottom of the seventh inning. I wondered if maybe that was a game that you were going to go over, but... Heck no. No, okay. All right. So nothing, none of the, like references to games in the movie are relevant to your story today absolutely not. okay i i sent you on a fool's errand okay that's what i wondered i was like i, I feel like this hint may be a little bit of deception because that would be pretty you know that's a that'd be a pretty obscure pull for you to like you know describe a game that <laughs> was you on know, the radio in a movie <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that would work um but 
it's it's February. It's the end of February. Uh, we've been uh, doing Black History Month stories. So this one is is very much. Uh, if you've seen the movie, uh, you know that in 1964. Uh, there was the Freedom Summer Project, which was launched, and it was a volunteer campaign to attempt to register as many African-American voters as possible in the South and Mississippi. Mm-hmm. What was it called again? The Freedom Summer Project. Summer Project, okay. So in Mississippi, under Jim Crow, blacks had been restricted from voting since the turn of the century due to barriers uh, for voter registration and other, you know, basically intimidation tactics. Technically, they were allowed, but there were so many barriers for them that that very few were able to actually vote. But with the civil rights movement in full swing in the summer of 1964, volunteers from across the nation descended on Mississippi and other southern states and attempted, despite knowing that it could be dangerous, to make sure African Americans in Mississippi could vote in upcoming elections, a lot of them for the first time ever. Okay, okay, I get I get that. I watched like I say, I watched the movie. Yeah. And I, I was aware that they were the 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 subjects, let's say that. Well we'll beginning. talk we'll talk about we'll, the subjects a little bit here. Well I just gonna say that like I knew they were like activists there, but I was I was unaware that like that's what they were in fact down there doing was like sort of escorting people to to voting or well, and registering them. Okay. Right. They were saying, Hey, we're gonna meet you where you are mm-hmm. and get you to register uh, to vote in a safe space. And you're going to hear a little bit what happened here. Okay. So Andrew Goodman and, and Michael Schwerner were both from New York, uh, and they were two of these volunteers who went down to Mississippi. Uh, there they worked with James Cheney, who is a 20-year-old black civil rights activist uh, from Mississippi who had participated in the Freedom Ride at just 18, two years prior. Uh, and Cheney had organized voter education classes in crew, in and introduced Congress of Racial Equality Workers to uh, local church leaders and helped the Congress of Racial Equality Workers get around the county. So he was there. He was from the community. He was... Uh, Cheney. This yeah. is Cheney. Yeah. So he welcomes these guys. He's showing them around. Uh, they're, you know, going to black churches, uh, black swimming pools, like all these segregated places. And these white guys are like, hey. Here's how you Okay, vote. these are three white gentlemen. No, Cheney's black. Okay. Goodman okay. and, and Schwerner are white. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that because... Yeah. So yeah, Cheney... If you've seen the movie. ...was from nearby Meridian, Mississippi. And he took Goodman and Schwerner around to meet with local black leaders and see some friends. One of the prominent black families in Meridian was the Boyd family. The Boyds were a baseball family with many members playing in the Negro Leagues, including K.T. Boyd and his brother Bob. In fact, in 1950, Bob Boyd was the first black man to sign with the Chicago White Sox and among the first black men to sign with any major league organization. On top of that, uh, their great-great-uncle, Benjamin Boyd, had played for the Memphis Red Sox and the Homestead Grays. Okay. So... The Boyd family has a lot of history. Yeah. Um, Frank Boyd was friends with James Cheney. Uh, he brought the volunteers back to his brother Willie's house, otherwise known as Skeeter. So Willie is is okay. Cheney's brother? No. Frank Boyd. Yes. Is friends with James Cheney. Yes. Uh, and he brings Cheney and the volunteers to his brother Willie's house. I got you. Okay. Otherwise known as Skeeter. Skeeter was a ball player himself in his day. Uh, He played for the Meridian White Sox and a bunch of uh, minor 
minor league, essentially Negro leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and apparently at 17, he had like a, a some ridiculous like 17 and 0 record or something like that. Skeeter Boyd was 17 and 0. Yeah, yeah, wow. as a pitcher. Okay. Um, so uh, where is my spot here? Uh, so he brings him back to Skeeter's house, and uh, and uh, basically Skeeter and his wife Gertha Ray, otherwise known as Sweetie, had a handful of children themselves. One would grow up to be a big leaguer. Oil can. Fuck you. How'd you get it so quick? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, just, I just had a feeling, man. Dennis Boyd <laughs> was just five years old when the Freedom Summer volunteers showed up at his family home. He recalled fondly his experience meeting the men and even sitting on their laps. He recalled it being his first memory of white men in his house and how kind they were to him. Even at a young age, he noticed a vast difference between the way they interacted with him and his family versus the white population of his hometown of Meridian, Mississippi. Okay. On Memorial Day... As, May- you, as you probably would at that time. Yeah. Based on, based on what I saw in Mississippi burning. Yeah. It's yeah. a highly segregated community. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like, even for these white guys to be in a black family's home is out of... Yeah. Out of the norm completely. Yeah, just, just from... You know what I understand. It 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 was a, th- that was grounds for either of those parties to get their asses kicked. Yes. Yeah. So on Memorial Not Day, that it was justified. Just let me point that out. No, you're just saying <laughs> what it was. Yeah. Uh, on Memorial Day, May 25th, 1964, Schwerner and Cheney spoke at a congregation at Mount Zion Methodist Church in Longdale, Mississippi, just outside of Meridian. Mm-hmm. Uh, the KKK found out and hatched a plan to lure the core workers back. So they attacked the congregation and burned the church. So. <laughs> I don't know how much of a plan it was, but they were just like, no, this ain't happening. So as as you see in the movie, they attack the congregants, they burn down the church. Mm -hmm. Swerner and Cheney, along with Goodman, uh, would return to apologize to the congregation who had been brutalized and lost their church because it may have been used for, you know, voter registration. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is fucked. Yeah. Um, After speaking with the congregation, the three set up to Memphis, but uh, after they drove away... The three civil rights workers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner, would be arrested and then murdered in, colla- in a collaborative effort between the local police and the KKK. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the movie. Yeah. yeah. And that, imagine a five-year-old Dennis Boyd. Just taking all that in. And he met them. Yeah. In his book, he talks about his brother, or his uncle, I guess, Frank, his, uh-huh. his dad, Skeeter's brother, uh, wanting to, like, go with them. And I don't know how close Frank was to getting in the car with mm-hmm. these guys, but... Oh, it's like, he could have been killed, too, is what yeah. you're saying. It could have been four. It could have been four. Yeah. Wow. And they were at the Boyd house. Right. Oh, fuck. Right before... Holy apparently. Shit. They, they, I couldn't find exactly whether... They were there, right? But in 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 the book I read, it it basically was like, and then they left, and they were killed. Like, and it was holy just shit, like, fuck. that's crazy, man. So that's not really mentioned in the movie. No, it's not. No. <laughs> so Dennis Ray Boyd was born October sixth, nineteen fifty nine, in Meridian, Mississippi. Dennis had five older brothers and two older sisters, as well as a younger sister who died tragically at a young age after getting run over by the family car. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's rough. The family car? That's, yeah. That'd be the worst car Skeeter, to get run yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, it was the dad driving. Oh. Yeah. 
It it unfortunately happens. It, it does. It unfortunately sucks. Now we're that's, not going to hang up on that no, too much. I was even not sure to include it, but let's we had move to move beyond that. All right. So Dennis grew up playing ball and trying to keep up with his older brothers. He said there was no t-ball or coach pitch at the time, and he had to learn to keep up with the older kids if he wanted to play. At 13, he was named MVP of uh, the Meridian Little League All Star Game. All right. So ta- talent right out of the gate for Dennis. Yep. So. Even with the family background and connections, it was still not easy for a black ball player to come out of Mississippi. Now that segregation was over, it brought new obstacles, but the Boyd brothers at least had Bill Marchand. A white man coaching an integrated team in Mississippi at the time was not an easy feat, and he showed kindness uh, by even buying cleats for the Boyd boys. And Mm -hmm. you'll see, he's still not great. Still not great, but... (laughs) But he at least... uh, you know, I'll, I'll let Dennis explain. Okay. Dennis would, would later write, he could have been killed. That's how serious it was. Not harmed, not threatened, but literally killed for putting my brothers on the team. That's how strong the hatred was. And it was definitely applied to a white man who showed any kind of encouragement or love for a black kid. Bill Marchant was tough as nails for standing there for my family, and I'll always appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the, the, yeah. you needed somebody to, to be step out of the norm to really because mm-hmm. once the school's integrated right it's like fucking remember the titans right like yeah. it's, you you it all of a sudden meant that you know if you have a racist white coach how many black players are going to be on the baseball team yeah well in theory not very many exactly yeah. so this guy you know took a risk and uh Essentially was nice, but he's still not nice. Uh, even still, Marchand was not exactly fair to the Boyd brothers. At first, and in Dennis' autobiography, he tells a story of his brother Mike refusing to pitch on short rest and his brother Don standing up for him. Coach Marchand suspended both of them from the team and made them walk home instead of riding the team bus. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Dennis claims his mother saw like they were in the stands and the coach didn't know that the family was there. So the the family sees the coach, you know, scream at these kids and and be like, you're fucking walking home. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Get your bags, walking yourself. So so Boyd doesn't really say it, but he's like, anyways, my mom went and talked with the coach and she just say she always had a gun in her car. (laughs) It was like. He's like, either way, Mike and Don were back on the team. <laughs> right. And I'm like... He's like, listen. Yeah. I have a bar rifle under <laughs> my, my passenger seat. It's a bench seat. It's a big car. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, in 1973... So uh, mom threatens the coach, yeah, they get back, back on, on the team. The team. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's great because they get drafted by uh, big league organizations in oh, 1973. Don Boyd's drafted uh, by the Cardinals, uh, but he'd just play one season in rookie ball. But Mike, who was the best, and he was drafted by the Dodgers, but he was never offered a contract from the Dodgers because at 18... Mike Boyd got a white girl pregnant. Okay. Uh, and? Uh, nowadays, <laughs> exactly 50 years later, but at the time, the Dodgers were like, fuck this guy. Okay. That's, like, that's you, you were up. allowed to be black, but you weren't allowed to... to, yeah. to don't know. mix, don't don't mix, mix. With, with us. Okay, yeah. I got you. So once again, this is the time that we're in right now. Uh, 
1973, and Dennis would say that it was pretty clear why Mike never made it. It was because of this. Mm-hmm. And Mike is said to be like the best of the Boyd brothers, right? Yeah. Okay. So when Dennis joined Coach Marchand, the Meridian team went to the state playoffs, and Dennis Boyd would end up with a scholarship to Jackson State University. But what he endured to get there was fucking like horrendous and probably something experienced by hundreds if not thousands of black ball players across the south at the time so fucking strap in 1976 he's grade 11 uh the meridian team plays pascagoula mississippi if i said it wrong fuck you pascagoula you're paying (laughs) for your father's sins Uh, boyd pitched that night and threw a complete game defeating pascagoula 12 to 1 eds when i read boyd's account of the game it was it was so hard to read he was the only black player in the game And as he made his way on the field from the clubhouse, he was pelted with pebbles and his white teammates had to walk around him, giving him cover and telling him to ignore the slurs and yelling coming from the people to a 16 year old. Yeah. (laughs) That sucks. That's so once on the bump, he settled in and he's, he's setting down the hitters one by one. He's being chirped viciously, and once he allows a double in the third or fourth inning, uh, the runner on second begins just screaming the N-word at him as he pitches. Okay. And the field dump is white, uh, the home play dump is black, and the field dump is doing nothing. Ah. Uh. And the crowd picks up on this. Yeah. So you have like a stadium of people in a dugout just screaming the N-word at you as you're winding up to pitch. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is a, like, distracting and threatening. Yeah. And the, to Which make in things, turn is very I don't know. This is like this is one of those things that that is like, oh, you thought you were trying to help. So he, the Boyd shortstop, tried to stop the racist chirping, <laughs> but he was also he was like, you can't say that. He's our. No. <laughs> Exactly. So racist chants grew louder and grew louder. Oh, man. Uh, and this is a way to tell on yourself, bud. Boyd begins to just cry. Like, he is pitching, but he's crying. As Yeah, I can and imagine. That would, that would create a very emotional reaction among most people. Yeah. And he's not quite reacting because he's, he's got to pitch. It's the playoffs or whatever. It's a big game. And, and he just keeps sitting down batters. Uh, and on top of the channel, the crowd begins to throw garbage at him as he walks to and from the dugout, including watermelon rinds and banana peels. And one hits him in the face. Finally, the ump behind the plate, who is a large black man who Boyd described as Shaquille O'Neal big. He f- finally steps in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boyd would write, the black umpire behind the plate finally called time and said, I'm going to put a stop to this shit. The umpire went over the dugout, told the team, if I hear that wor- if I hear that word one more goddamn time, I'm gonna clear the whole fucking dugout. As a matter of fact, you better come up here swinging because everything he throws is a strike. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he's got an ally now with the like. Yeah. That's how, but that's how bad things had to get that mm-hmm. the umpire like you know, and and you had to think it it's, took some balls even for a it's man. It's interesting that size they didn't like that. force like the the the, the reprimand wasn't gonna be forfeit. 
but that may have caused a riot. Yeah. So, <laughs> but Boyd finishes the game with 15 Ks, and his teammates once again have to surround him for protection as they go to the team bus, and people are throwing shit at him. Yeah. Uh, and yelling shit. They got a Bartman him out of there. And, and this is what an, a 16 or 17 year old experienced. So just oh, kind of, this is the context we have going forward in Boyd's experiences. Like, oh, the first white people that were nice to me got murdered. And, you know, this <laughs> is my baseball experience. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. So he finishes high school. He goes to Jackson State University. He's now a member of the school's Hall of Fame. Uh, and in 1980, at age 21, Dennis Oilcan Boyd was drafted in the 16th round by the Boston Red Sox. Okay. So is he, you, is he is he known as Oilcan yet? Oh yeah, yeah. Why I, did, why is his name Oilcan? Well, we're getting to that right now. I was really hoping you wouldn't guess this uh, until this moment okay, in the podcast. Well, I, I mean, once you started saying Boyd's and I was lining up the timeline, I was like, mm, I think that's Oilcan Boyd. Yeah, we're <laughs> anyway. talking Oilcan. Yeah. So how did he get the name Oilcan Boyd? From a young age, Dennis was smoking weed and drinking alcohol. And this is how he would earn his famous moniker, Oilcan Boyd. There's a few different rumors, and you can find a few different ways of, you know, why. Uh, Sports Illustrated and I think the New York Times both wrote vaguely similar tales. But mm-hmm. Boyd would clear up why his name was Oilcan Boyd in an interview with the Bleacher Report's Saul Wisnia on September, in September 2012. And I quote, everybody says it's because I drank a lot of beer and they called beer oil down in Mississippi. But that's not true. It was gut rot whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't beer. It was much stronger than beer. I'm not a pussy. (laughs) Everybody in Meridian, where I grew up, drank it. You got it from a lady up the street named Big Mama. (laughs) Which absolutely is amazing. He continued, when I was seven, yes, at seven, I started drinking some myself. One day somebody caught us in a tin shed drinking Big Mama's whiskey out of oil cans. So my friend Pap started calling me oil can. I wrote it under the bill of my baseball cap and my high school teammates started me calling, started calling me that too. It just stuck. Hey, I like it. <laughs> so you came from a seven-year-old drinking whiskey out of oil cans. Yeah. Just, just so we're clear. Yeah. I like it. I, I, like, I, 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 I like a good historical nickname that goes back to your roots. No. It's like your dad was a mechanic? No. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, he changed his own oil and he was an alcoholic and I used to steal his liquor. But oh, The liquor, I didn't go into the detail. The liquor was for his mother, actually. Oh, she, okay. had, she had her own issues. So okay. Oil Can would rock it through the minor leagues with the organization. Uh, and he was not a big guy. And quite, he's, he's, he's freaking like Chris Sales. He's six feet, 155 pounds. Mm-hmm. So he's skinny. He's a coat hanger with, with legs. Uh, he played with the Elmira Pioneers in 1980 and goes 7-1 with a 2.48 ERA, fourth best in the Penn, New York Penn League. Mm-hmm. So good start. Okay. In 1981, Oil Can went 14-8 with a 3.67 ERA, tying for third in the Florida State Re- League ERA title. And that winter, <laughs> Boyd would travel to play winter ball in Columbia, and guess what Oil Can Boyd found in Columbia in 1982? Inner peace. Cocaine. And cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of cocaine. Yeah. And this was the 80s? Yes, oh, 1982. Oh, my God. 
So this is like the best time for cocaine. I read a lot of Oil Can Boyd's biography, which I'll talk about at the end. Mm -hmm. There is a 16-page chapter in it just called Cocaine. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to read just that chapter first. <laughs> well, he talks about it a little bit, and you'd be surprised. He doesn't really, you know, it's, it's not like he goes down there and becomes a fucking cokehead completely but it's just his introduction uh and actually he gets i feel <laughs> just it based on it being the 80s i th i feel like the bar is a lot lower <laughs> yeah <laughs> sure i'm sure you know yeah like to be a cokehead you're sorry it's a lot higher lower i don't know <laughs> I, know. I don't know what i'm saying you oh, know what trust I mean. me we're gonna get into some cocaine in a okay. little bit i'm we just are... like, no well not us, not us. Uh, not Thank us. Goodness. but um yeah <laughs> Yeah. Thank goodness. But he so he finds cocaine. He's like, oh, that's fun. But also he gets in trouble. Uh, and I'll quote from his book. After having a good year playing in the Florida State League in 1981, I went on over to Columbia, South America, to play winter ball until January 1982. I got into some trouble down there when I was caught smoking pot on the beach by a policeman who looked like he was 15. It was, to say the least, an interesting time. <laughs> To say that is saying the least. <laughs> it's very much saying <laughs> the least. <laughs> so, so I, I, yeah, I, I should note that that Oil Cam Boyd is is to this day, as far as I know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but but he's very back in two thousand and twelve at least. He was very much a a enthusiastic uh, cannabis user. Uh, and well, at least in his past, he, he talked very highly of it. So I'll quote again from the Bleacher Report 2012 interview. I smoke dope every day. I started when I was 12 and never hit it. I was such a thinker. My mind was never idle. And w but when I smoked, I got locked in. I was so focused. I couldn't hear anything else on the field. I became creative, like an artist doing a painting. A little blue here, a little red there, a curveball here, a slider there. I got to the point where Bill Buckner would come over and say, Are you high? If I wasn't, he'd say, go get, <laughs> he'd say, go get him some. <laughs> so, hey, I mean, if it worked for him. Yeah, he's on a bash. He's, he, he's, you'll hear, he talks to his coaches all about, he's yeah. like, I'm smoking weed, like, <laughs> then I'm pitching. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't seem you to You know really how care. I was doing good? It's, <laughs> it's because of that. Yeah. So Oil Can, uh, maybe forcefully, was returned to the U.S. and put up an identical 14-8 and 8 record in 1982, this time in double-A. He lowered his ERA uh, to 2.81 over 205 innings pitch. And he was like, please send me back to Columbia. Please send me back to Columbia this winter. <laughs> yeah, so like the, the concoction of weed, booze, and cocaine is, 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 is working for it's Oil doing Can. its job. Okay. Yeah. So this September, he gets called up to the Red Sox, who were trying to catch the Brewers for first place in the AL East. Oil Can made his major league debut at Fenway Park against the Cleveland Indians on September 13th, 1982. He worked five and a third innings, giving up just two runs, but the Red Sox offense scored only one, and Oil Can got the loss as the Sox fell 3-1. to one. Okay. So it was good for The Red Sox were, like, just okay at this time? Well, they were fighting for first place. They didn't get it. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, I'm just trying, to, just trying to think of the era. Like, they made the World Series in 86. Oh, right? we'll get there. Okay, fuck. Holy yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah, just hold I'm your horses. Ahead, sorry. Yeah, I'm like, we're, we're in 1982. So Boyd would get just two more games uh, that fall. 
Uh, and he'd split the 1983 season between AAA Pawtucket and Boston. He pitched well for the AAA team and was called up in June and got his first big league win versus the Twins on June 3rd. He would go back down but come back for the remainder of the season in August and he finished the year with a 4-8 record but a nice 3.28 ERA over 98 and two-thirds innings pitched for the Red Sox. That's not too bad. So he's he's beginning to get hyped now, too, because okay. everyone's like, all right, this kid's, you know, wins and losses still probably matter at this time, but they're like, all right, this kid's coming up, and, and he's shot through the minor league system, so mm-hmm. he's becoming a big name in the Red Sox system, who also have a, a guy named Reggie, R- Reggie Clemens. Mm-hmm. Roger Clemens. <laughs> and his brother, up. Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie's brother, Roger, is coming see, up. You see, they say Reggie was the better of the two, but he blew his arm out. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Roger took his place. Yeah. <laughs> you seen Super Troopers? <laughs> Or they get Farva. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so once he became a Red Sox, the cocaine began to flow a little bit more. He was a stud young pitcher, and everyone in Boston wanted to party with the oil can. Okay. Who wouldn't? Right. And everyone's idea of partying at that time was fucking cocaine. <laughs> yeah. So as we know, he's a drinker. He goes out to bars. People are like, hey, let's have a drink. Hey, let's do a bump. And he's just like, all right, this is a nice life. I'm enjoying this mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. In 1984, uh, Boyd would get off to a rough start with the Red Sox, and his temper would make headlines for the first time. After throwing a complete game losing effort on April 6th, Boyd got roughed up in his next two starts against Texas and California. Then Boyd got into an argument with skipper Ralph Hulk, uh, and he was sent back to Pawtucket for a month. Boyd says in his book that Hawk said something uh, that he took to be racist, and called Hauk out on it, and then was sent down after his next start. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Hauk traditionally was like, you know, button heads with guys. Like, yeah. He, and, and anybody who was like kind of odd, yeah. I could see like Jim Bowden famously busted, butted heads yeah. with Hauk all the time, even though they were friends. Yeah. So, I can imagine that like an, another odd duck like oil can yeah would rub hauk the wrong way yeah and especially oil can in, in oil can's book he, he doesn't use like i took it as racist i don't think he might have not been trying to be racist but mm-hmm. i took it that way and i fucking told him <laughs> he could have been yeah exactly been. so uh boyd uh performed uh well uh over his month in triple a and was brought back to the big leagues uh, Boyd posted a 12 and 12 record with a 4.37 ERA in just under 200 innings pitch for a Red Sox team that finished 86 and 76. So they're, they're kind of good. Pretty good. They're getting there. Yeah. Uh, but Houck would be gone and the Red Sox would get a new manager in 1985, John McNamara. Boyd would have two, uh, and would have his two best years for Boston in 85 and 86, but he would also make the papers for more than just his pitching. Okay. Boyd soon gained a reputation for what the old guard would refer to as antics on the mound. But Those antics. Yeah, antics. But Boyd We've had antics come up before. Oh, of course. It's always very nondescript, but it's never what the owners want. Exactly. Okay. Anyway. And the on. writers and whoever is is like, well, I didn't it wasn't like that when I was a kid. Um but oil can uh would you know, brush off his detractors as mad because he was black and because he had a contentious personality. He would say to Sports Illustrated, nobody called Bird Fidrich a hot dog and he did the same stuff. I got color. 
I got character. I am the king. <laughs> it is. is that how he said yeah. it? Oh man, is that on? Is that like in Sports Illustrated? Oh man, I, I believe wanna, it. I wish I could see that in person yeah. being said. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so it, I am the king. <laughs> so he's like, "Fuck you!" I'm just black, and I got fucking you. Mark Fitterich was, uh, or Bird Fitterich was not a uh, yeah, you know, the yeah. bird yeah. Uh, was not. The bird is not. He was the, bird. the man's the can cans the man <laughs> bird fishers was white he's black he's like fuck you that's yeah. what he said yeah, yeah so I in 85 i know you know i'm telling everybody else oh, so okay. in 1985 the red Sox went 81 and 81 which is a little underwhelming they weren't getting there uh as much as you thought but oil can would lead the team with 271 and a third innings pitched and a 3.7 uh era good enough for a 116 era plus it was an impressive season but off the field, Boyd's cocaine use was increasing. Before the 19... 19- as, as it usually does. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. And it takes a jump here. Because before the 1985 season, Boyd had graduated from powdered cocaine to crack cocaine. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or free basin cocaine. Just any way you could get cocaine. Just, he yeah. was into it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> He's smoking it. He, he did not discriminate. Yeah. I yeah. got you. Yeah, so he's free base and doing lines, and and you know eventually you know it's just like yeah I'm gonna go all the way. So Boyd uh, got married on December thirty first to cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> he got married yeah. <laughs> to the plant. Um, so he gets married on December thirty first, nineteen eighty five, and claims in his book that he almost missed his wedding because he was so high, and a friend had to help him put his tuxedo on. <laughs> Slow down, slow down, Dennis. <laughs> How do you not imagine trying to dress as super? Like, fuck it, let's just go now. Let's just go now. I'll, I'll do good. it naked. I'll do it naked. I don't need it. I got my cummerbund. I'm good. That's all I need. <laughs> I'll just hold my hands like this. No one can see it. Can you see my balls? <laughs> <laughs> By the time spring training started, Oil Can was not looking good. Eventually, Marty Barrett's wife. Why? Because okay. of the yeah. cocaine. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. He claims he was down to like 125 pounds, like a six like he was a skeleton. So, Looked like this microphone stand. Yeah. And so, Marty Barrett, I believe he was the shortstop. I don't know. Some Somebody that was live back then can tell me. But Marty Barrett's wife is like, holy shit, you look awful. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe I do. <laughs> so, he's embarrassed by it and he gets called in to see the team doctor who was also part owner it's a whole thing um and that seems like conflict of interest <laughs> well not kind of the Good owner point. is the doctor maybe i should have addressed that i didn't even <laughs> include his name in here but i I'm, it's in the book so okay. he, he's got a hilarious back and forth where he's like hey you don't look good are you using drugs and he's like you know i smoke weed every day and he's like cool anything else yeah. <laughs> he's just like <laughs> uh cocaine and he's like how often and he's like like every day. How often every day? It's like oh, like all four, day, like fourteen day. and fourteen, fifteen hundred times a day. <laughs> yeah. So the teams and Boyd said that he went on the IL for hepatitis, and this is during spring training. But really, it was like, holy shit, you are dying from drug abuse, and he takes. They couldn't have just said like something besides hepatitis. <laughs> like what the well, fuck? His eyes were like yellowing, and it was like so? noticed by the press. So, so the doctor was like, "I got so a like plan. he's got really high blood pressure, which he would have." <laughs> 
Either way, they gave him hepatitis. And okay. sent him, but he only takes like two weeks off, and he's just they're just like, no cocaine, just eat food. <laughs> like, just, just, just take this syringe. It's got a little bit of hepatitis in it. <laughs> they didn't give him actual hepatitis. Okay. They were just like, he got they hepatitis. He's going away for a couple of weeks. We I don't want to say it's because of cocaine, so we're going to say it's hepatitis. Anyways, weird. Anyway, is okay. Never mind. Carry on. It's not important. <laughs> so he gets counseling and he puts on weight in, in time to start the 1986 season, which, as you mentioned, the Mets are going to end up in the or the Mets, the, the, the Red, Red Sox. Sox. Yeah, the I mean, Mets are too. <laughs> yeah, the Mets are too. The Red Sox are going to end up in the World Series. The team had a trainer uh, live with him, and although he was very much addicted, he seemed to have a handle on things. You know. It's, much so they like good. they like Johnny cashed him. Yeah, you know they sent him to live with the 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 Carter family and yeah he's good to go. Yeah, he's like occasionally I'd just escape and go Do on a twelve hour cocaine, or cocaine binge and oh, but you know the rest of the time things were good. <laughs> so right. yeah, so many of our listeners know it was a hell of a year for the Red Sox in '86 and probably the most memorable of Boyd's career too in just so many fucking ways. So he's still going on coke binges. He's he's pitching like an ace alongside Roger Clemens and he's living a double life. But he was giving the team the results. So the team's like, yeah, he's didn't really stop doing the cocaine as much as I don't know what's going on over there. (laughs) But he's great. On the other side of the street, but over here, he's pitching well. Yaki Avenue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Boyd, despite this, uh, and giving the Red Sox uh, now a full year and a half of stellar results, was not selected for the All Star game. Okay. Boyd took this as a personal slight. And possibly a racist one. Uh-huh. When he was told he wasn't selected for the team, he responded to the reporters saying, Motherfucker didn't do what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Then he got dressed and went home, telling the Red Sox he quit. Oh. Over the All-Star game. Not being selected. By, like, by the By co- the fans. No, by the coach. Like, he was, oh, like, okay. He wasn't right. a starter. He wasn't going to be a starter. But he also claimed that you know, there's a lot of claims. His book is great, but honestly, it's a, sometimes it rambles. So, okay. Because <laughs> he did a lot of cocaine. While writing the book? <laughs> no, not necessarily. Maybe, but no. Maybe. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he, he claims that, you know, they were just, they didn't want black men starting in the All-Star game. And, okay. and the fact that he, he was like second in the AL in wins and he doesn't get selected by the manager. He was like, mm-hmm. uh, this fucking motherfucker's racist. So... Yeah. Uh, then he gets dressed. He goes home. He tells I mean, it quit. sounds like it was, but he also sounds like he was crazy. Well, he's doing a lot of cocaine. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, like that's, we'll, we'll kind of summarize this at the end. This is the roller coaster we're on right, <laughs> right. now. There's yeah. a lot of empathy for him early and it's, yeah. it's kind of going away a little bit. So, so he quits the team. Uh, the, the team has Don Baylor come and talk to him. <laughs> Oil can calls Don Baylor and uncle Tom bastard <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> said the team only sent him because he was black. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So Baylor responded by criticizing Boyd in the press, saying nobody's bigger than the team. Which also, you're on a baseball team in the middle of a season where you're like fighting for a division, Mm -hmm. and your second best pitcher is just like, I quit because I wasn't selected. Like everybody, he Charlie Sweeney's it. Yeah, he's fuck that guy. Yeah. Right. So Boyd claimed uh, he came back 
uh, apparently he came back after quitting, but the security was like, no, you're not allowed in oil can. You just stormed <laughs> he out. Could, he Costanza it it and was <laughs> like, I, that, you took that seriously. <laughs> exactly. like, <laughs> okay. So, so, uh, so, but security says you can't come in. And that the day he apparently stormed out in a huff, he's like, oh, I came back later that day, but they told me I wasn't allowed back. And then he sat oh. at home for like a week. Oh, okay. And Don Baylor came over and he was like, you I Uncle you. Tom fucking... Anyways, <laughs> you so, bastard. You yeah. Uncle Tom bastard, you yes. said. Yes, that was the exact <laughs> quote. Uh, the next... Uh, so, so, okay. So on July 11th, he, he failed to report and was suspended for three days. The next day, the Boston Herald front page showed an angry oil can throwing a soft drink at a photographer. A few days after a few days, oil can returned to the club, what was, but was suspended for a total of 21 games for his actions. Fuck. So he's basically suspended most of July. Mm-hmm. Um, during the all-star break, uh, Boyd went to buy some Coke and noticed the cops tailing him. He left without buying anything because of this. It's crazy. Much, his book's great for these kind of stories. <laughs> <laughs> like, he goes in and he's like, oh, there's guys following me, aren't they? And then he goes out to his car and like, there's a guy sitting in his car and he's just like, I'm just here. Like, they're going to think we're doing a deal. I'm not giving you anything. But like, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so the cops are tailing him. Uh, he gets home. The cops pull up, uh, bust out the sirens. They, they get aggressive with him and he doesn't have anything on him because he didn't yeah. buy anything. And Boyd... Uh, basically is like the police are illegally arresting him because they're like, oh, you have drugs on you. Get it down. He's mm-hmm. like, I don't have anything on me. What are you doing? He mm. lives in a nice neighborhood, so the private security is like coming up being like, what's, what's going on, What's officers? going on? And yeah. they're like, oh, he has drugs. And he's like, I don't have drugs. And they search him. They don't have anything, and they're being aggressive. But they took him down and were like trying to arrest him. His neighbor's a lawyer and is yelling at the police like, you know, I saw like they were, you know, they came mm-hmm. at you with no probable cause. It's a whole kerfuffle. Uh, and... Basically, they don't find anything. Uh, no charges are laid or all charges are dropped because his detainment was unconstitutional. And Boyd's lawyer wanted him to sue. But he said, no, I just want to pitch. Okay. He's like, I just want to get back to business here. Yeah, and you'll see he probably should have sued those fucks um, because they hurt him, but he doesn't know it yet. Um, uh Son of a bitch. So his velo was down, but he powered through and started uh, the playoff clinching. Velocity. Yeah, velocity. I know, some people don't know. Oh, I, if you're not velo, if you're listening to a <laughs> podcast called Sean and Ed's Do Baseball, you know what velo is. Yeah. Anyways, so he pitches the playoff uh, berth clinching game against the Blue Jays, unfortunately, and the Red Sox went down three to one with Oil Can getting the loss in Game Three of the ALCS. Uh, the Oil King came back with a vengeance in a must-win game six. After giving up two runs in the first, Boyd would put up zeros on the scoreboard until the seventh, and Boston would force a game seven, taking the game 10-4, to four, and o- that would be Oil Can Boyd's only playoff win. Okay. So now everybody listening should probably uh, kind of vaguely be familiar with the 1986 Mets first Red Sox World Series. We have a couple. Mm, we have an episode on it. Yeah, we have on an episode it, yeah. on it. Not really about it, but. Um, well, it happened at it. It happened so. at it. But, Eds, you'll probably know that Oil Can, or you probably don't know that Oil Can Boyd was slated to start game seven for the Red Sox, but got bumped at the last minute. Boyd and the Red Sox 
got trounced by the Mets in Game 3 of the World Series 7-1, to with Boyd giving up two runs before even getting an out at the start of the first inning. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have a great game. The series would go the distance, and if not for rain pushing back Game 7, oil can Boyd would probably have started for the Red Sox in Game 7, and who knows what happened. What would happen? Yeah. Who knows? But he claims, you know, he's quite brash, and once again, he's like, I would have, nobody beats me twice in a row, but... The coach would have put me in. Yeah. We'd have won state, for sure. So Magimara, like the Reds... The Uncle Rico of the 86 Red Sox. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a really muddied story, too, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, McNamara's like, no, we're going with the, the, the lefty. And Boyd's like, no, I'm going to pitch on the road. You'll be the first man in. Um, but McNamara, the Red Sox manager, insinuated that Boyd was drunk in a later interview, and that's why he didn't bring him in later in the game. Okay. So, so he's insinuating that he's like, I was going to make him the backup guy. But then he, but got he was mad, so he got, yeah. he got hammered drunk. Yeah. And I was like, well, fuck. Yeah. Can't and, use him. Okay. And Boyd claims this is BS, and they told him that they went with Bruce Hurst because Hurst was hot, and Boyd claims there's no way the Mets would have beaten him twice. They already said that, and there was no time for him to get drunk during the day on Game 7. He was like, where was I getting drunk? Like, Anyways, he completely denies McNamara's uh, the assertion that he made, and he really likes McNamara. He's like, I don't know why he said that. Me and him get along great. I wasn't drunk, and McNamara. I think there was even an insinuation they had to like lock him in the the manager's office because he was so out of control. Oil can, yeah, and oil can completely. Maybe oil can doesn't remember. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> he was blackout. Yeah. Um, Boyd claims, uh, or yeah, when Boyd received the news about not pitching, he began to cry. He oh. then then he headed out. To score cocaine and stayed up all night smoking the cocaine. So this is bef- so he's got an issue with dealing with adversity. <laughs> <Yes>. Like he <laughs> okay, and even still, I I do kind of regardless of what McNamara said later, it was like so the night before Game Seven, you stayed up all night smoking cocaine because the coach told you, you wouldn't be pitching tomorrow. And then you're like, how dare he say I was, like, drunk during Game 7. It's like, well, you might not have been, but you maybe might. you weren't in the best shape yeah. to pitch in a Game 7. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. I wasn't drunk anymore. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I was just up all night smoking coke. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, okay, and stayed out of trouble uh, that offseason. It wasn't the ecstasy. It was the egg rolls. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Boston loses. Uh, yeah. uh, oil can stays out of trouble that offseason and passed 16 drug tests while working out with his college coach and catcher. But his arm was bugging him still, even after all the rest. In 1987, it would be forgettable on the field. But that spring training, Boyd was embroiled in a very, very dumb incident involving unreturned videotapes. Boyd oh would be... My God. Boyd would be... The the reasons are just ridiculous all the time. We we knew a guy like this at one time. We did. (laughs) You know? So Boyd is detained... God bless him. God bless him. (laughs) Boyd is detained by police due to an issue concerning overdue video cassette rentals, and when the list of titles is made public, 
it's turned out to contain a number of pornographic titles. Wow. And then the Boston police dubbed the incident the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good yeah. that's a good one. And oh can you like explodes at a reporter. He's like, like I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, kids! Yeah. Oh, I am the can. <laughs> it's the same reporter. Yeah. <laughs> you cut. Uh, never mind. It's like can. whatever, <laughs> whatever, Dennis. Uh, so, oh, can continued using cocaine, and had a hilarious incident in Oakland. Oh, can was paranoid that the team would search his locker that day, so he put his crack in the lining of his hat. But with the Boyd's motion on the hill and his big hair, his hat would occasionally fly off. Boyd looked down to pick up his hat after one pitch and saw the mound littered with crack cocaine. <laughs> oh my god. He picked up a few casually and put them in his pocket before walking around towing the dirt. chunky. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody noticed oh, yeah. the cocaine. I, somebody has to have like gone out and tried to find that game if it was on TV. Oh my god. We'll check it out. Yeah. We'll, we'll I don't even know which. He just vaguely refers to a game in Oakland, but I'm sure okay. it can get narrowed down based on his, his short time in the big leagues yeah oil can uh would only pitch seven games posting a one and three record uh in 87 uh and finally he was allowed to have surgery on his shoulder in august where doctors discovered a hairline fracture that was possibly from the police assault a year earlier from the cops pulling his arms back and up when they were arresting him jesus christ so there was a, a it was tiny so it was like so it may inter- not have been noticeable to him. Yeah, it was intermittent pain. Like some days it bothered him, some days it didn't. Uh, okay, and I was gonna say like, how would you not know you were hurt? But that makes also sense, he I pitched guess. in the playoffs with a fra- hairline fracture in his shoulder. <laughs> the year because that sh- happened during the All Star break shoulder? the year earlier. Yeah, 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 like you know, Jesus. Yeah, so he pitched that whole '86 Red Sox run. Oil Can Boyd was pitching with a broken fucking shoulder. God. <laughs> Yeah. So On his pitching arm? Yeah. God damn. So so his shoulders repaired and and he was able to start 23 games in 1988 posting a 9 and 7 record with a 5.34 ERA. So not that great. Uh Boyd was the center of another controversy though that year as the Yankees manager Billy Martin complained to umpires about the gold chains Boyd was wearing around his neck. The umpires ordered Boyd to remove the chains after the game. Boyd called Martin both a bigot and a redneck. Unfortunately, Boyd developed... Oh, I jumped from that. So yeah, Martin's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of shitty. We see nowadays... I don't know. It, it just was a shit move to try to probably throw off the pitcher, but also kind yeah. of underhanded and kind of slimy and rednecky and bigoted from uh, Martin. Either way, unfortunately, uh, Oil Can Boyd developed blood clots in his pitching arm in August and wasn't able to pitch for the rest of the year. Hmm. And the blood clots is just going to come back a little bit. It's it's like an oncurring thing. Once again, don't do drugs, kids. Yeah. Um, Oil Can was just... Brings tw- me to my next point. Don't <laughs> smoke crack. <laughs> Oil Can was just 28 and already going through some serious health issues. Uh, he would pitch in just 10 games for the Red Sox in 1989 before heading north of the border to get a fresh start with the Expos in 1990. But he took a few parting shots on his way out of town. 
He said to the can't not say something mean. <laughs> well, he's, uh, once again, his view on everything is is viewed through race, and right. we can understand why based on his childhood. Right? Mm-hmm. He said to the Boston Globe of the manager of the Red Sox manager Joe Morgan, "I think Morgan believes black people have green tails and green blood. He felt blacks couldn't pitch. He felt they couldn't think out there on the mound." Joe Morgan? Yeah. Isn't Joe Morgan a black man? I don't know. I don't think so. But we'll look that up right now. <laughs> I know there is a Joe Morgan. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he just... Uh, maybe Yeah, maybe he's, he's saying that about a black man. That is totally reasonable. No, well, he... no, no. It was a white guy. It was oh. a white guy. White guy. Never mind. Not this Joe Morgan. Not that Joe Morgan. Oh, okay. This Joe Morgan. Okay, yes. Yep, yep. Different Joe Morgan's. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. <laughs> In Montreal, Boyd had a season to remember. <laughs> he started. Thank you for going with us on that fact-checking journey, yeah. everyone. <laughs> he started 31 games, posting a 10 and 6 record and a 2.93 ERA over 190 plus innings. Okay. It's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Oil Can would say it was the best time I ever had playing baseball. All right, so he's having fun too. He's having fun up in Montreal. Who wouldn't? Montreal is the perfect place. Montreal is great. Is is a great city. Yeah, and you're right. It'd be a perfect place for Oil Can Boyd at this time. And unfortunately, he gets traded. Ah, for fuck's sake! (laughs) To who? The Rangers. Oh no! (laughs) The worst team for him to get traded to, probably. Yeah, and they're pushing for a playoff spot. And because he was so good with the Expos, they they ship him off. What year is this? Ninety. Ninety one. Now he gets traded at the deadline in ninety one. He had a really good year in ninety. Has a decent start in ninety one, and then he gets shipped off to the Rangers at the trade deadline. So he's down there, one two punching with Nolan Ryan now. Yeah, and he's not punching because he's, oh, he's two and seven with a six point six eight ERA and twelve starts he's like, with the fuck Rangers. Fuck this and fuck this team. I am throwing my games. Yeah, fuck Nolan Ryan. Yeah. Fuck Arlington. Yeah. <laughs> fuck the Expos. Yeah, he's like David Clyde. You're cool. Yeah. Yeah, David Clyde. Uh, Deep cut. In nineteen ninety two. Boyd signed a minor league contract with the Pirates because he had such a shitty end of the year. Uh, But the recurring blood clots in his pitching arm, as well as being known as difficult, kept Oil Can off the field. But Boyd did not retire. The Oil Can never retires, Edsy. (laughs) Okay. So he's, he's still not retired? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, man. You, he probably pitched at some point. So he's still alive. So, yeah, he, he could be pitching uh, in the spring for all I know. He's going to be in my softball league this summer <laughs> somehow. If you got, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we can get that together if we reach out to the right people. But in 93, he goes and plays in the Mexican League for the Industrialis of Monterey. And he's a fucking closer. Instead of a starter now? He's like on a Kenny Powers trajectory now. Yeah, so Boyd went to uh, spring training with Cleveland in 1994, and Boyd quotes manager Mike Hargrove as saying to him, if it was my choice and I was in control of this, you'd be in my rotation. You wouldn't just be on my pitching staff. You'd be in my five-man rotation. But your your personality is bigger than your right arm. Okay. So essentially, he claims so Hargrove is like you're good, but you're a dickhead. So like your your personality outweighs how good your arm is. 
And I think he's saying, saying, well, I think he's saying he doesn't have a choice in the matter. Hargrove doesn't have a choice in the matter. Right. That the higher ups are telling him that he can't, he can't take oil can Mm -hmm. because he's like, I would tolerate your personality. Says if it was my choice, but your right arms or your personality is bigger than your right arm. So I got you instead. So he's kind of, he's kind of more talking about the perception of you more than like how Hargrove feels about him per se. Yeah. And as you've noticed, like he doesn't have a glowing uh, reputation. Reputation. And no. it kind of gets worse a little bit right here, just mm-hmm. in my opinion, just because of some personal things. But so, it, not here, but we'll get there in a paragraph. So in 94, okay. instead, he doesn't play with Cleveland. He pitches for the Yucatan Leones uh, of the Mexican League, and he'd finish the year with the Sioux City Explorers in the Independent Northern League. He was arrested for carrying a concealed weapon after an incident in a lounge in Sioux City in which a man reportedly uh, was yelling racial slurs at him. And that's not what I'm upset about, just to be clear. Okay, yeah. I'm not yeah, upset yeah, yeah, about yeah. that. You yeah. can carry a gun. and <laughs> Well, you can't threaten people with it if they call you racial slurs, but that's why you carry a gun. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Anyways, that's why I would... Hey, I my, get what you're saying. Like, my aside. Like, it, it, it's reasonable to be upset about a man yelling racial slurs at you. Yes, yes. absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Completely reasonable. Uh, um, and I'm sure the police did not understand or treat him well. So anyways, uh-huh. uh, this is why I'm mad. Because the oil can tried to make a comeback to the major leagues by scabbing. Ah. Uh. Spring 1995. This is from the Washington Post. The Major League Baseball Players Association strike is in its seventh month. The team owners have responded by opening spring training camps in Florida and Arizona with minor leagues, minor leaguers, and replacement players. And the owners, with the exception of the conscientious objector Peter Angelos of the Baltimore Orioles, plan to begin the regular season in April with replacements if the major leagues are still on strike. So, first of all, didn't know that about Peter Angelos and the Baltimore Orioles. Good for them. Uh, but Oil Can was... Un- they, he, they were like, no, this lockout is bullshit or whatever? They're, they're, we're not putting replacement players on the field. Oh, I see. Okay. The, the Orioles wouldn't do that, apparently. So, they weren't like that good. Yeah. <laughs> but Oil Can was one of the players who signed with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, to be a replacement player if they, they were going to start the season with these replacement players instead of the major leaguers who mm-hmm. are on strike. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he's scorned for it pretty pretty heavily. Uh, questioned uh, When questioned, the 35-year-old Boyd responded with a clearly short-sighted but justified logic behind his signing with the White Sox. When it is over, I want to go to the big leagues, and I'll do whatever it takes to go to the big leagues. It's like, yeah, but... If all your teammates hate you... And, mm-hmm. What's the point? Yeah. I mean, to him, he'd be like, I don't give a fuck. He's like, that's my life normally. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> so he would say, nobody's going to dictate to me how I take care of my family, which is something I can genuinely be like, okay, if this, you thought this was your last shot to you know, make family taking care of money, sure. Yeah. But still, kind of short-sighted, and you're undermining your own union that you were a part of. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. can believed uh, he could still, uh, he still had major league stuff, proclaiming, don't tell me I can't pitch anymore at 35 years old. If I can get my arm up in the air, I can get you out. I'll never be a thrower out there. I've always been a doctor. Okay. 
<laughs> weird thing to say, but it the doctor would would not get called Edzy because <laughs> once major. It's like I've always been a doctor, and so was the owner of my team, which is a huge conflict of interest. <laughs> <laughs> so. This is it for Oil Cam Boyd's major league career. He, he's he's done. No more tryouts or anything. Maybe there was one or two more that I missed. Uh, but he finishes his career with a 17.3 baseball reference war with a 4.04 career ERA, uh, over 1,389 and two-thirds innings pitched. But as I mentioned, Oil Can never rusts. 96. <laughs> Boyd, uh, Boyd played for the for the banger Blue Oxes of the Northeast League and dominated with a 10-0 record for the season. In addition to... In Bangor, earn- Maine? Yeah, Bangor, Maine. You nice. got it. All right. In addition to earning league MVP honors for his pitching performance, Boyd also spent the season as the team's pitching coach. So he was kind of a pitching coach. Less- the MVP and the, pit- the pitching coach? Absolutely. So Boyd returned... That's pretty cool. ...to the league for another year but kind of retired after that to pursue something bigger. Cocaine. Uh, <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> no, that's just, uh, anyways. <laughs> he wants a team in his hometown of Meridian, Mississippi. Okay. From uh, bostonhistory.com. In 1999, it appeared as if he would be successful when the Texas-Louisiana League announced plans to place an expansion franchise, the Queen City Bombers, in Meridian. But just like the near-miss opportunity to pitch in Game 7, Boyd's bid failed due to the lack of local sponsorship, personal funds, and overall support. But Boyd has not given up on his pursuit of ownership. He has since bought a plot of land, which has been cleared and graded in preparation for a new ballpark. So that, in the end, it doesn't work out. But Boyd is is trying to get this done. And, and a year later in 2000, he's he's still selling the idea, trying to build up things. He told the South Coast today, I'm making history. I'm the only owner that plays. I'm planning to play until I'm as old as Satchel Page. We own the land. We own the team. We own the stadium. <laughs> I love him. I love him, I too. love it. <laughs> Unfortunately... That would never happen. Like, oh. He goes broke trying to develop this like stadium, and and he doesn't. I mean, probably cocaine helped with that too. I was gonna too. say, how much cocaine is he doing? <laughs> never get into an, a development scheme with a cokehead. Yeah. <laughs> at forty-five. Yeah, I noticed like you've never talked about recovery at any <laughs> point yet, so I'm assuming. He's... No, he's unabashed about it. Okay. <laughs> he's yeah. Absolutely. Just like, it's like the it weed. makes me real creative. <laughs> yeah. <when> I... uh, <laughs> So it comes real creative financially. <laughs> I, I, at 45, Boyd was not quite done. Oil can pitch for the Broxton or Brockton Rocks in the Can-Am League uh, in 2005. He finished the season with a four and five record and a 3.83 ERA in 17 games and made the All-Star team. <laughs> but they wouldn't let him start. <laughs> Where's Brockton? I have no idea. It's oh, okay. got to be somewhere in upstate New York or, okay. or Vermont or something like that. If okay, it's, it's not in Canada. No, I'm, I don't think so. Uh, in November 2005, uh, Boyd was indicted by a federal grand jury in Mississippi for allegedly making five phone calls in which he threatened a former girlfriend. Five of them? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of one of those things that I think, once again, it's a little bit of a 
overblown story, and I don't want to say threatening a former girlfriend is like a, a minor thing. I think you know, obviously, this is pretty serious, and there's domestic uh, abuse can can lead to horrible, horrible things. Um, but what Boyd said on the matter is, I threatened to beat her ass if she burned my stuff. <laughs> oh my god. So <laughs> she burned my stuff. Yeah, apparently Boyd was Boyd was on the phone with her and she was, you know, threatening to get rid of his stuff and burn it or whatever and and he threatened her mm-hmm. and because it was over state lines, it was a federal crime instead of even if it's on the fo- on the yeah, phone. Yeah, because it's like interstate threatening. So once again, it's like cry- like this is where I'm just like, oh my god, this is just like such bullshit. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a different crime if you're like in the same city as somebody, but it's a federal crime if you're over state lines. So the FBI gets involved, not just the police. And quickly, Brockton's in Massachusetts. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Point. <laughs> Boyd, but so the FBI gets involved and arrests Boyd, and he ends up spending 120 days at the Fort Dix Federal Penitentiary. Okay, <laughs> so, I've heard of that place before. That's not it's not a very good place. No, I'm sure it wasn't a great stay. It wasn't yeah. wasn't no Marriott. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't the Radisson or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we can name hotels. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In 2000, certainly wasn't the Four Seasons show. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Hojo. Okay, okay that's stop a, it. Yeah, that's so in 2012, along with with writer Mike Shalin, uh, Boyd published "They Call Me Oil Can: Baseball, Drugs, and Life on the Edge." The release sent shockwaves through Major League Baseball, with most of the headlines focusing on Boyd's admitted drug use at pretty much all the stadiums around baseball. <laughs> it's like it did cocaine. It's like, I still have a stash at Fenway <laughs> if you go behind the scoreboard and look in the stack of sevens. Yeah. <laughs> like I smoke crack in the bathroom at this park, and we used to do cocaine in this little back room at this park. It's just like, that. that's what everybody focused on, but like, the story of Oil Camp Boyd, as I mentioned, in like all the racism he faced mm-hmm, early mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. and you know what? Like to 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 kind of like end this, and like that's the thing is like he he publishes this book that that is very much uh, it's it's a little rambling, it's a little ranty, but it's very much a, uh, like pouring his heart out and being mm-hmm. like, this is what I experienced as a black man, mm-hmm. and you know the drugs and the weed and the boot, whatever. It, he's like he's pretty unapologetic for it and all the power and it probably contributed to his prose honestly oh, well yeah but it also like some of it is like i i didn't include a few things because he's like i tried to kill and fight this team because they were calling me stuff and then his like college coach was like yeah no he just yelled at them and he, uh, he like literally that story is like a ricky bobby story where he's like he's like i just started taking my clothes off i threw my cleats in their dugout and i was just i was just hot so i just needed to be like and his coach is like no nah, he just yelled at them a bit yeah <laughs> so yeah, so I, so there's so take it with a grain of salt. You're saying there may be some exaggeration to some. Yeah, well, of that's why stories, I right? didn't use his book as as a huge primary source for right. this one. It was very nice getting some of the personal stories and the personal uh, because it really doesn't include. It's just like he was just sent down to AAA because he got into a fight with his coach, and he's just like in the book. He's like, yeah, he said some of my joke is racist, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, whereas you don't get that context in the media, and then of course when he publishes the book, all the media talks about is like oh he smoked crack in the bathroom Mm -hmm. like it's like what the like cool yeah Yeah. but his book starts out with talking about those two white workers and james cheney coming to his house 
and that's one of his first memories of America is mm-hmm. like have meeting yeah, these people sorta... that were immediately murdered right afterwards by yeah. the KKK. Yeah, and as like a young man, yeah, like that, I'm sure would create a situation in your mind where you're like, I cannot trust anyone, anyone. ever. Well, and and so I, I kind of and s- and frankly, like in in that environment in the 60s i mean not that like i was there or knew what it was like at all but like you know based on what i've read and seen and and like you know mississippi burning last watching last night was like you know that would be very intense you would be you would be you would have anxiety all the fucking time all the time and and once again, you know, what happened to his brother, what happened to him on the mound, what happened to, like, just people he met. Yeah, I forgot about his brother already. Well, like, I, his brother just getting, like, blacklisted because yeah. racism. Yeah. yeah. And so so this is, I kind of subbed it up. Let's just say I, I, I just like, well, Ken, I, I got a little creative and, and painted a little paintbrush here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think Oil Can's story is probably one of like the best examples I've heard of institutionalized racism, where he grew up in segregation on the cusp of change. And even though that change happened, mm-hmm. it the sentiments and the attitude for a lot of people it it took a long time to change and as you said it still reverberated throughout his whole career mm-hmm. his big brother's career was was a casualty of that ideology even though it was you know 10 years later after these murders uh and though less overt than mississippi in the 1960s a lot of these ideas still resonated through mlb owners managers and the media that covered these teams mm-hmm. So beyond all odds, Oil Can Boyd still made it and carved out a heck of a career. Someone like me may take a glance at the headlines of Dennis Boyd's career and naively say, you know, what was he so mad about? Or why was he so self-destructive and divisive? Mm-hmm. But like the angry black man is a stereotype in our culture, in our society. Yeah. But after reading about Oil Can Boyd, I think he's justified in his anger. Mm-hmm. And, and like, no one's, no one really, it feels anyway, like no one acknowledged that. And, and, you know, he always, maybe, maybe like some people might look at the stories he tells and be like, well, he's like looking for a reason to be mad. Yeah. Right. But like, I don't know if I really consider it like a reason to be mad. He's like, I feel like he's looking for that, like. He's always he's that acknowledgement of like the the anger that is justified, you know. Well, and the anxiety, always being on edge, always questioning, you know, was that a slight at my race? Mm-hmm. Was that a slight at me as a man? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, you're like, well, where did that come from? It's like, well, th- it came from a a childhood of, or a you know a whole childhood of. Of, of mistrust of and mistrust. Of, of like of, of society abuse, of societal abuse essentially yeah he right? doesn't uh, he talks in his book he's like i don't trust cops mm-hmm. like i don't trust cops because the cops killed those guys that came to my town mm-hmm. he's like you know that's uh, he's like that resonates with me and yeah and I'll, I'll finish it up uh you know he we talked about it. he saw the very worst of human nature from a young age and it carries through to him still to this day in his book uh he writes I can't let go of how I really, truly feel about life. 
These situations, especially the situation of James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner being killed with no mercy, they make you who you are. And, and times haven't changed as much as people think. James Cheney is buried in Meridian, and every year, someone takes a sledgehammer to his tombstone. Oh my god, is that, that, I mean, you wouldn't write that if that wasn't true. That's fucking awful. And that's how, that's his lens on life. He's like, that's, like, that made me who I was. Mm -hmm. we, you know, like, no matter well, what, it's, and, I and, just see and, the hatred. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you can argue one way or the other about it, but, like, to, to, uh... To Dennis Boyd, like that's that's reality. Yeah, you know it doesn't it doesn't matter whether like you know someone else wants to accept that or not, and and you know argue against his justification or not. But like to him, that's the only thing that exists. That's that is his life. Yeah, you know, fuck man, like that's that's crazy. Like well, like, that's oil can Boyd. That's amazing. Like that's a that's a wild story and and you know well well done on like sort of Mississippi you, burning you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well done in deceiving me and sort of like uh you know I mean not deceiving me entirely but like you know you you made me look for the story in a different place and you brought it back into that. So it worked out all together. But uh but yeah, man, like that Good, good on you for like sort of illust. I hadn't really considered it from like that angle of like why, like you know, someone might feel that way because as you say, like your whole you spend your whole life in like an anxious state of mind because you've never been given the like a feeling of a, a feeling of safety. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of talk these like days. In in like you know politics or whatever you want to say about like a safe space and how oh we shouldn't you know oh everyone needs a safe space and blah 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 this and that but like you do yeah you you really fucking do in order to like you know create that like mental stability in your life and to like have trust especially you need children. safe space as as a child you yeah. know and you he, know and like I I just can't imagine like. I say that if you haven't seen Mississippi Burning, if you don't know about the the James Cheney and the and the the you know whatever the the this voting rights murders down in Mississippi, it's a wild story. You know, I ended up going into that quite a bit. But I I mean to finish this off, I'd say, you know what I kind of have a a kind of you know not on a personal level, but just on a kind of like attitude, media perception, and also kind of weirdly in statistics. You know who, like, the modern-day, like, kind of oil can Boyd to me is? Marcus Stroman. Absolutely, <laughs> you're on the same page. And Dennis oil can Boyd finished his career with a 78-77 and 77 record. And Marcus Stroman, before the 2024 season starts, currently has a 77-76 and 76 record. And their ERAs are not that much far, mm. far apart. So they're, they're very similar, both in talent as well as... I think Stroman will, will surpass Oil Can. Uh, maybe not in cocaine use. But. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Marcus, if you want to let us know about that, you can you, find us on Twitter at uh, <laughs> Doing Baseball. <laughs> and on Instagram at Doing Baseball. And uh, on Twitter. 
what's the other one? Oh, I don't. TikTok. TikTok. Doing dot baseball. That's a segue. <laughs> that was a segue. No, thanks for tuning in. I'm at Sean Do Baseball on Twitter. Now I'm at Ed's Do Baseball on Twitter. And uh, until next time, thanks so much for listening. Give us a follow. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And we were bringing you the baseball. Okay, uh, bye. Bye.